Good morning, Crosspoint. Welcome. Glad to have you. Good to see each and every one of you. I want you to take your outlines out if you haven't done so already. Today we are at week number seven. Can you believe it? Week number seven in the miracle of mercy. Today we're talking about showing mercy to our families. This is going to be a tough one today. I've had to live with this one all week. You know, sometimes the sad fact is the hardest place to show mercy is right at home, right? Often we are more gracious to total strangers than we are members of our own family. Maybe you could identify with David in our response reading this morning here on the screen. Uh, David's family life really was a mess. Yes, he was a man after God's own heart, but... You know, there were issues. I mean, can anyone say Bathsheba? Can anyone say, you know, he had a son that tried to kill him. There was a rape in his own family. He was a part of a blended family. Ah, problems and issues. And what does he say here? I like his heart, though. Knowing that he's a mess and his family's a mess, where does he take the mess? To God. Isn't that the place to take it? Lord, I want to live a blameless life, but how I need your help, Lord, especially on my own. What's the next word? Say it with me. Home. Where I long to act as I should. Okay, did I tell you to take your outline out? Let me see it. We're going to take a mercy quiz right now. It's pop quiz time. You didn't see this coming, did you? Take it out. We're going to see how much mercy am I willing to show in my family? How much am I showing? There's only five questions here. It's not going to kill you to take this test. And be honest, God's watching, all right? Question number one. When my spouse or my siblings or another family member gets some detail wrong while telling a story, I either A... Interrupt them and correct them publicly. Or B, say nothing and let it go knowing, eh, you know, I've done the same. I haven't got a story completely right, so just let it go. It's such a small thing. Number two, when my spouse or my sibling or another family member keeps making the same mistake over and over and over again, I either A, become irritated and angry at them or would you say i'm more like b i just graciously forgive them and pray for them oh yeah that's me number three when my spouse or my siblings or another family member is getting more attention than i think they deserve any brothers and sisters looking around right now Siblings, I think, have a special problem with this one. The atten- Who's going to get the attention in the family? I feel resentment, and I feel the need to bring them down a notch. Does that describe you? Or are you more like B? Oh, I celebrate with them, which is the merciful thing to do. I think sometimes we relate more to the older brother than the prodigal son. Remember when the prodigal came home? Dad threw a big barbecue, a big party. And where's the older brother? Is he at the party? No, he's out in the backyard pouting. 
And dad goes out and says, what's up? Why aren't you in the party? Your brother was lost, but he's now found. He was away from home, but he's returned home. You never threw a party for me. Can you relate? I mean, I get it. Does that describe you? Or are you kind of more like, I celebrate with them, which is the merciful thing to do? Or number four, when my spouse or my siblings or another family member says or does something I don't understand, I don't get it, but I just assume they have the best motivation for doing it. Are you more like B? No, I question their motives. And I assume the worst. Uh, I know what they're up to. I know what they're thinking. I'm on to this person. No, you're not. You don't even know your own motivations. You don't even know yourself, much less somebody else. And then one last question on the quiz. And the quiz will be over. This is a painful quiz, isn't it? I've had to live with this quiz all week long. I am more polite, would you say, A, to total strangers, or B, my own family. I am more polite to a stranger or to my own family. After taking this test this morning, would you agree with me that we all need to work on our relationships at home? Would you agree with me on that? We're in a series, and if this series has taught us anything, it's taught us this. Look up on the screen. It taught us what mercy is, and if you recall our definition, goes something like this. It's undeserved forgiveness, and it's unearned kindness. When somebody forgives me, and I don't deserve it, that's called mercy. When somebody shows me a kindness that I haven't earned, that's called mercy. Mercy really is love in action. It's not so much an emotion. It's compassion eight. It reaches out and does something. And so whatever is true about mercy is also true about love. And whatever is true about love is also equally true about mercy. And so today I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want us to look at 15 characteristics of love that Paul gives us in what we call the love chapter. You know, we, we, we often read this at weddings. And we think, oh yeah, that's a wedding verse. No, this is a daily verse. This is a family verse. If we could put this into practice. Now, we're not going to talk about all 15 of these characteristics. We'll probably talk about four. But I want to read all of them. Number one, love is patient. Love is kind. When I'm being impatient and I'm not being kind, I'm not being very loving, am I? Love does not envy. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Pride gets in the way of being merciful, doesn't it? Pride gets in the way of being loving. Love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not irritable or easily angered. And now he gives some, puts it in the positive. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It's not just not things. It does things. Love does not delight in evil. Love rejoices with the truth. Love is always supportive. When I'm not being supportive, I'm... At home, I'm not being loving. Love always trusts. Uh, Love always hopes. There's hope for any relationship, folks. Love always perseveres. And it never gives up. Love never fails. Love never ends. That's a good old verse. 
Now, I want to talk about four ways on your outlines there where we can show mercy in the home. Four ways. Way number one. By overlooking irritations and offenses. That's it. Man, that's a huge one right there. If we can just learn to overlook some of those little irritations, those little offenses, and not take everything personally, I think this is the Bible's way of saying, don't sweat the small stuff. And you know, we all have small stuff, right? I mean, you're an individual. God created you a certain way with likes and dislikes, and your spouse a certain way with likes and dislikes, and your kids and your family members all the same ways. Your parents' kids, they have likes and dislikes and maybe you know, different kinds of music. Uh, are just uh, looking at the world differently. You're wired differently than your folks. And, and husbands and wives are wired differently. I mean, if you grew up in a household and you put the toilet paper roll on this way, and you get married to someone that puts it on to roll it the other way, that could drive you nuts if you let it. Don't let it. Don't sweat the small stuff. Let those little irritations and those little offenses roll off. It's not a big deal. You know, most marriages don't just explode and end. Somebody said, marriages are buried with a lot of little digs. Dig after dig after dig, it accumulates. Irritation after irritation Little offense after little offense, and eventually they build up, and you just say, I'm done. Don't let that happen. Overlook irritations and offenses. And then he says in verse 5, love is not irritable or easily, what's the next word? Angered. Now, let me just say this. It's not a sin to be angry, right? Would you agree with me on that? The Bible says, be ye angry, but sin not. Did you know that God gets angry? <laughs> Who was Jesus? God. Was there a time in Jesus' life where he got angry? Remember the temple incident? Where they turned God's temple into a den of thieves. Yeah, God gets angry. There are some things that should make you mad. The murderers, the rapists, people that are into human trafficking and child exploitation, that should not only make you angry, it should make you sick to your stomach. I mean, if somebody kidnapped my son or my grandson and hurt them, I would be angry? Well, guess what? God's angry when his kids are being hurt as well. So it's not a sin to be angry, but let me tell you about two wrong ways to get angry. You either blow up or you clam up. Those ways aren't very good. A couple of weeks ago in our growth group, we'd been together, I guess, around four weeks. I, I love our growth group. We, we got a good growth group this time around. It's not too big. It's not too small. Uh, I guess if we're all there, we'd have like 11. But on average, we average between 8 and 10, I guess. And it's a good size group because it gives everyone a chance to talk. And in the first week, everyone's pretty quiet. Uh, I did most of the talking. Uh, Kaysen did a lot of the talking. Kaysen is my apprentice. And uh, week two, more people opened up and talked. By week three, man, we're just like opening our windows and just sharing all the junk in our life. And around week four, I said, hey, when you get angry, um, 
are you more like a skunk or more like a turtle? And I said, let me define what a skunk does and what a turtle does. Skunks, when they get angry, they just stink up the place. Turtles, they go inward. And I'm not going to tell you any more than that that happened at my growth group because what happens at my growth group stays at my growth group. Our growth group is a safe place. I'm telling you what I asked. I'm not telling you how they responded, but I love the fact that they felt comfortable enough around week four for people to share openly and honestly. And I shared openly and honestly. And what I love about having my wife in there, she can share openly and honestly. I have to remind her, confess your faults one to another, not your husband's. That's a good verse, huh? But it's great to have her in there because we open up and we share where we're coming from. That's what I love about our growth group. And, the, and if you're not in a growth group, you're really missing something because it is a safe place where you can talk about anything and you don't open your window up on day one, but by week four, we're opening up and we're talking and we're sharing and we're talking, we're praying for each other, how we can help each other with that and going, yeah, I get it, I get it. Uh, I'll pray for you, you pray for me, all right? Well, why do I say all that? I say all that to say this, whether you're a skunk or a turtle, both are inappropriate. Both are inappropriate ways to respond to anger. We've had skunks in our church. Not the little black and white ones. I I was in here preaching one day and we were going through a tough time as a church. I was teaching some things that I believe were biblical and right, and someone disagreed with me. It's only happened twice in my history of being here, and you know I've been here since 79. But the second time it happened, it was really getting tough. It had in, interrupted my message. I was that close to shutting down the service. I've never had one of you stand up and interrupt one of my messages. Thank, thank you. <laughs> I love you, turtles. But this skunk stood up spoke up and I saw it leading to another skunk and another skunk and about the third skunk I was that close to shutting it down and I gave the stare and I said this is not the time this is not the place and they got it and sat down and we had people leave our church I don't mind people leaving our church just let me choose the ones all right and as the skunk left here's what skunks do they leave but just before leaving They turn around, and they just spray everybody. You know what I'm talking about. Are you a skunk? Are you a turtle? Both are wrong. What's the antidote to irritations? What's the antidote to offenses? Love and mercy. Love and mercy. That's it. And the more you learn... And feel God's love. And the more you love and feel. See, it starts with learning. Then you feel it. God's mercy. Then you're more capable of what? Sharing God's love and mercy. Because if you're not feeling it, then you're not showing it. Proverbs 17.9 says, Love forgets mistakes. Holding on to mistakes is very unloving, folks. Nagging about them separates even close friends. You can have a best friend and then, 
I see people, what happened to your best friend? Well, the irritations of this, that, and the other, and just the nagging, just we don't get along anymore. Proverbs 19.11, it's to your glory to overlook an offense. That's just the Bible's way of saying it's to your credit when you're able to be offended and just let it go. Not a big deal. You know, I've seen people who are able to do that. I'm a little more defensive. I don't like that. But that's a sign of my own immaturity. But when I'm able to see it, others model it, oh, I like that because then I want to be like that. I want to have that kind of emotional maturity in my life. Now, I'm not offended by every little thing, but if you're the type of person that gets offended by every little thing that's said or done or typed about you on the internet, like that probably never happens, but if it does, you need to grow up and not let stuff like that get to you. It's a sign of maturity. When you get angry over things like this, little offenses and, and irritations, you really need to ask yourself three, three questions. Number one, why am I angry? Number two, what do I want out of this? And then number three, how do I get it? I'll tell you two ways how you won't get it. By clamming up or blowing up. Skunk or turtle does not work. That's why Paul will say in 1 Thessalonians 5.15, Be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. Paul knew what he was talking about. Paul did some snapping of his own. You remember that little conflict, I put little in quotes, between Paul and Barnabas? If you want to read some really tough wording in the Greek, those two guys got into it. It was over John Mark. Who was John Mark? Well, Paul and Barnabas put together a missionary team to go on their first missionary journey. John Mark and Timothy, they were the the newbies. They were the young whippersnappers, the young kids that needed some growth and needed some patience. Well, I kind of get the idea that Paul snapped at John Mark quite a bit. Because Paul, who was he? He was rugged, he was smart, he was tough as nails, he could take beatings. You read about his life. This guy was, there's nobody quite like the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's just the top of the game. And he doesn't have patience. If, if Paul had a problem, it's probably pride and impatience with the younger generation. And when the going got tough at Panphilia, John Mark went home to Mama. And now Barnabas, years later, comes to Paul and says, You know what, Paul? It's time to go back to those churches. Time for another missionary journey. Let's go to those churches and let's build them up again. And. You know, I told John Mark to get packed, and, you know, you grab Timothy, and we'll get going again. Whoa, 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 whoa. We ain't taking John Mark. Not that dude. That guy, he's a wimp. You know, he let me down. You know, I'm not going to make the same mistake twice. And Barnabas, what was Barney's nickname? Son of, who said it? What would you say? Encouragement. Ding, 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 ding. Karina, Karina gets the answer, all right? Son of encouragement. And he's, oh, Paul, don't talk that way. Yeah, the boy was young. He he gets it now. He's matured. Give him another chance. Paul's going, no way. And they came to contention. They didn't throw blows, but they threw some verbal stuff. 
there was a lot of snapping. Do you see this? So much so, guess what? They split. Barnabas goes, fine, I'll take him myself. And Barnabas and John Mark went one way, and Paul and Silas went another. But Paul does some maturing in time. He grows up himself. John Mark grows up himself. They both needed some growing up. And years later, you'll read Paul's writings. He'll say, oh, and by the way, send John Mark. I I need to talk to John Mark. I need his help. He is useful to me. Do you see some growth in both directions here? So don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. Paul knew what he was talking about when he wrote this verse. I think you'd be a lot happier. We'd all be a lot happier if we put this verse into practice in our family. Would you agree with that? So number one, how do I show mercy in my family? By overlooking irritations and offenses. Number two, I've got to speed it up. By being kind when they don't deserve it, but they need it. Every family has VDPs, very draining people. Now, don't look at them right now. Avert your eyes, but you know who they are, right? They're difficult to work with. They're irresponsible. They're immature. They're demanding. They're pushy. They're self-centered. They're aggressive, and they're even rude. How do you deal with VDPs? Well, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 7, love is patient, love is kind, and love is supporting even to VDPs. Are you always loving, patient, and supporting? Well, of course you're not. Neither am I, and that's why we need this sermon. That's why we're going through this series on mercy. And you know what I've noticed as I'm going through this series? I am finding myself being more loving and more patient with people, total strangers and in the family. I, you know how impatient I am. When I go shopping, I'll race to get to the line to beat that other cart. I am actually slowing down, letting others go ahead of me. I was in line someplace the other day at a restaurant, uh, one of those you know, takeout places, and as I was walking up about the same time, and this other lady was going to be, oh, go ahead, go ahead. And I go, oh, no, I insist. <laughs> did you catch that, Lord? I kid you not. This is so unlike me. <laughs> I'm not there yet, and neither are you. But we could probably go through another seven weeks of this series, right? We're just kind of cutting the surface. When we went on a love last year, you know, 40 Days of Love, Man, I I thought I understood love. I don't understand love. But love and mercy go together. That's why you can see why I wanted to connect these two series as we started off this new year. Love is patient and is kind. Well, how do I do it, Bruce? Well, let's go to the advice of the wisest man that ever lived. We've got to go all the way back to the Old Testament, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 19 and verse 11, where Solomon says, a man's wisdom is... Gives him patience. Oh, wisdom. So if I gain wisdom, if I gain insight, 
into other people, I get what? Patience. See, this is the key. If you want to be patient with the VDPs in your life, you're going to have to learn what makes them tick. You're going to have to get into their background, get into some of, why are they so fearful? What are their hurts? What was their upbringing? What was their past like? And once you understand that, you go, oh, I get it. Now I know why they react that way. Now I understand why that makes them so upset. I didn't understand that before. I understand why they're trying to hurt me. Because hurt people hurt people. Anytime somebody's hurting you, it's because they are hurting themselves. And when you understand that, when you obey the Bible, when you listen to the wisest man that ever lived and gain some wisdom, then you might say, well, if I grew up in that household, if I grew up with those parents, if I grew up in that situation, I might be a VDP myself. Right? But you get insight, you get wisdom, you get more understanding, and that brings about what? Patience. We are patient with little toddlers. I got a 20-month-old, 21-month-old now, I think, uh, grandson. Oh, I'm just so patient with him. I want to spoil him to death. He never gets in trouble with Grandpa. Now, I see Mom and Dad. No, 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 no. Go time out. He already got that time out thing down, you know, right? I don't know what time out was. And when I was a little kid growing up, I just thought it was... You know, time to take a break while we were playing sports or something. But anyway, there's a, you know, I'm more patient. And we're all more patient with toddlers than we are adults. Why? Because we understand a toddler's not as capable as an adult. Well, some people are not as capable as other people. And we all expect people to be as mature and as capable as we are when they're not. That's not being loving. Get it? Good. That's wisdom. That's Solomon. That's the Bible. And then he says in Proverbs 3.27, Whenever you are able, do good to people who need help. Look up here. You see the word need? It is not the word deserve. Are you getting the difference? Here's how we read it. Do good to people who deserve help. Who are like us. No. It's people who need help, whether they deserve it or not. Now, there are going to be people in your life that don't deserve your kindness. They have not been kind to you. But give them what they need, not what they deserve. And isn't that what God did for us? If God gave us what we deserved, what would we get? Not good. But He gives us what we need. Mercy and love. Proverbs 19.22, kindness makes a man attractive. You won't need Botox treatments, folks, if you just be kind to people. You won't need plastic surgery. You won't even need all that. We spent $500 in face cream at Costco about three or four months ago. Now, it's well over a year's supply, and that's for two people. But if I just start being kind, I won't need that all that cream stuff on my face. You know, I can be pretty in God's eyes. I mean, you, you've met kind people in art. Don't they look attractive to you? There's, there's something attractive about a person that's kind and merciful. And you go, oh, I want to be like that. I want to be around people like that. Ah. First Thessalonians 5, verse 15. This is another version of what we read earlier. Don't be hateful to people just because they're hateful to you. Rather, be good to each other and to everyone. 
Paul says it like this in another version. Never render evil for evil, but always follow that after that which is good, one toward another and then toward all. So mercy is not dependent on the other person's response. It's difficult, it's inconvenient, but folks, it is also the right thing to do. So number one, how do you show mercy in the home? Well, overlooking irritations and offenses. Number two, by being kind to people whether they deserve it or not. Number three, by letting go of past hurts. Boy, the quicker we can let go of past hurts, the better off we're going to be and the more merciful we're going to be. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love keeps no record of wrongs. (laughs) Do Do you? Do you store up ammunition for a rainy day? Or when the next war or battle begins in your family? Ah, if they ever say that again, I've got this, this, and this on them. Well, why do you do that? You always do that. Well, you do it too. You've never heard that in your family, have you? No, no. That's storing up ammo. That's keeping a record of wrongs. Do you keep a mental record of every wrong your husband, your wife, your kids and kids your parents have done? Well, the Bible says don't do that. that that's, not the thing to, that's not the loving thing to do. When somebody hurts you, this is a good line, don't repeat it, delete it. And you'd be a lot happier. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love is not rude. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges. Circle the word rude. Circle the word grudges on your outline. Because isn't that interesting how those two verses come together in the same sentence? Rudeness and grudges go together. Rude people are hurting, holding on to the past in the present. Rude people are holding on to past hurts. All the past hurts. In the present. And they're stuck in the past. And the problem is they're taking it out on you. And it's not fair. But hurt people hurt people. And if you're hurting right now, you need to let go of these grudges and this pain and release it to God so you're not taking it out on others. Let go of the past. Number four. A fourth way to show love and mercy in your family is by believing that God is working in the lives of your family. You must believe that God is working in the life of your spouse, in the life of your kids, in the life of your parents, even when you don't see it. Notice he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love always trusts. I'm supposed to trust you, but you know who else I'm supposed to trust? God. Well, I don't see God working in my brother's life, my sister's life, my husband's life, my wife's life, my parents' life. Doesn't mean he's not working, does it? Love always trusts God is working. He's working on you. He's working on them. Now, it takes a while to see that. I was talking with LV this morning before Bible class, and we were talking about my life and the household that I grew up in. And I, I, I remember when my mom and dad became 
believers. It was Jeff Walling's father that led them to the Lord and ended up baptizing our whole family. And uh, I remember my dad, B.C., before Christ, (laughs) and after Christ. It wasn't an instant process, but in time. You know, my dad was one of those kind of guys that just, if he thought you you should be in trouble, he'd whack you first and ask questions later, right? You know? And then years later, to look back on the memories in my mind, some of the hurts in my mind, some of the unfair treatment that I thought that I received, and then to watch how gentle and loving and caring he was to my, my son, his grandson. And I remember going, oh, I wish I had that dad, but I'm so grateful. He's not the man he used to be by the love and grace and mercy of God because my son, his grandson, got the advantage of what Christ, the difference Christ made at the Rocas home. And he's making it at your home too. It, it's not instant. It takes a while. There's growth happening. Trust God to do that. Love always trusts. It's always hopeful. When I'm, when I'm saying there's no hope here, I'm not being loving. And love perseveres through whatever comes. Well, how do I know if I'm trusting God for my marriage, for my family, for my kids? Look at your prayer life. Look at your prayer. If you're praying about your marriage and your family a lot, then you're trusting God a lot. If you're praying for your marriage and your family a little, then you're just trusting God a little. The psalmist, the same psalmist, David, that said, Lord, help me to be the man I want to be, especially in my home, wrote, Lord, hear my prayer for mercy. When I call to you for help, when I lift my hands toward your most holy place, if you're not praying for your kids, if you're not praying kids for your parents, husbands and wives, if you're not praying for your marriage, then you're missing out on the greatest influence for good in their lives. And really for yourself. No matter what your family crisis is, the solution is always the same. Throw yourself on the love and mercy of God. There was a guy in the Old Testament. They called him the weeping prophet. He wrote the book of Lamentations. Um, His name was Jeremiah. This guy was going through a hard time because he was a preacher in a day of time. You've got to understand something about Israel. Israel had long since fallen away from God, but God still loved them. God knew that if they continued in the direction they were going, they were going to be in real trouble. And and although Israel was falling apart, and the job that Jeremiah had was not going so well, he never gave up hope. He turned to the mercy of God. In Lamentations 3.20 he says, I will never forget this awful time. As I grieve over my loss. You know, it's one thing when something happens to a nation, you know, that maybe another nation attacks them. Um, But it's a whole other thing when a nation brings the calamity and trouble on themselves. That's what's going on with Israel at this particular time. And God says, okay, Jeremiah, you're my preacher, you're my prophet. Here's the sermon for this week. Oh, God, they're not going to listen to this. You really want me to go out there and say, repent. They're not going to do it. I've preached that one like a thousand different ways. Well, try it this way. And God give me illustration after illustration. 
God, they're not going to hear me. How would you like to have that job? And God won't let you quit. You know, you're I'm quitting. This is your job. This is what I'm telling you to do. Now go back out there and do it. You'd think a preacher like that would give up hope, but not this guy. I'll never forget this awful time. This is the awful time I'm going through, Israel's going through, as I grieve over my loss, and yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. He remembers something. The unfailing love of the Lord never ends. By His mercies we have been kept from complete destruction. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day. I think we memorize that here. They are new every morning, right? That's probably the way we hear it. But God does the same four things for us every single day. God overlooks and forgives our mistakes and offenses. Now He just says, now go do that with your family too. God is kind to you when you need it and you don't deserve it. And so He says, now go do that with your family too. God forgives and He forgets hurtful things that you have done. And He says, now go and do that with your family too. And God continues to work in your life. And He never gives up. So go and do that with your family too. Let's close in prayer. And let's ask God to help us be more like Him. Would you just say right now, Dear God, I need your mercy. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own power. I need power from above to be like you. I can't be merciful to others in my own power. And so please, 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 please give me the will and the power to be merciful to others like you have been to me. In Jesus' name, amen.